Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm Erica Slater. I'm John Simon. Erica, thank you for uh, joining us. We're an Eric short today. So we need someone to balance John and I's uh, obnoxiousness out. Sorry, John. That's all right. <laughs> I'm not sure I can be tasked with that during this Got podcast. The wrong <laughs> yeah. yeah. So today we're going to be talking about using visual aids or visual evidence at trial. And this is something I've tried to do personally more and more as time has gone on. John, I know it's something that you like to do and you kind of taught me how to how to do it at trial. Some people, I think, kind of overdo it. There's a balance. But how, how important do you guys think using visual evidence at trial is? I, I think it's critical. I think you have to use it. It's, you know, we, we've talked before about the 24-hour rule. You guys know what that is, that, you know, the next day, ask yourself, and we're, we're the lawyers, and ask yourself, what do, what do I really remember about a witness that testified the day before? Yeah. And I think if the jury remembers three things, you, you've done a great job. And the, the idea is to have something stick in their mind. So, you know, it's just like with medical, like if you have medical records or a stack of OSIs, other incidents, you know, rather than talking about it, bringing them in and setting them, you know, on a, a two-foot stack, two stack of paper, something to, you know, it's, it's the, the visual. Most of what we learn, you know, how, yeah. how we learn things, it's, it's our communication. All of our, most of our communication is, is nonverbal. And, you know, it, well, as they say, picture's worth a thousand words, right? And I, I actually looked this up right before we did this. There's studies showing about 75% of what people know or remember is learned through visualization. And you talked about this 24-hour rule. After 72 hours, humans normally remember about 10% of the information they hear, but 20% of what they see. And when we hear and see the same information, we retain 65%, which shows you the importance of using visual evidence. Meaning show and tell. Show and tell. Show and tell. <laughs> right. It just it makes it real, understandable, more compelling. And those studies basically, I, I looked this up too, it's called the picture superiority effect. Means the jury remembers words better if paired with images. It appeals to the jury on a visceral level, captures their interest. One thing I think is important to remember is this is not something you want to be figuring out in the month before you try the case. I think you want to try to develop it early so you don't have to deal with an unfair surprise objection at trial. Use them throughout the litigation and at mediation and at trial. Disclose early enough so as not to draw objections. Use them in depots. Yeah, use them in depots. And I mean, for some of them, the, the witnesses, you are going to need your expert to lay the foundation for it. You know, so try to develop it and, and talk to your expert about it to use it in their depot. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do it at trial. And, and some things, it's not just to make it more memorable, but there's some things that you really can't explain well without showing them. You know, for instance, part of the anatomy in a, in a surgery case yeah. where you have where somebody, you know, cut something they weren't supposed to cut and you want to kind of show the the area of the anatomy where they were getting, you know, getting a couple illustrations that just 
you know, and we, we've had those cases where you, the whole case can be summed up in one one illustration, you know, or, or one photo. I, we won't say the client's name, but we had a case involving what was supposed to be a surgical removal of something in the brainstem. This is what I was thinking about, yeah. Tim, as you were talking. And we had medical illustrations and graphics developed, and it showed the various parts of the brain, and it was a 3D mo- like 3D model you could twist and turn in all the different ways, and it had the different parts lit up in different colors. And then we were able to show what the – it was like a tangle of, of blood vessels that had to be removed in the brainstem. And but you can't take any of the actual brainstem out when you're doing it for obvious reasons. So we then were able to pair that with the MRI post-surgically that showed how much was taken and put them next to each other. And it it helped the jury understand exactly which part of the brain we were dealing with and what you're what we're supposed to be taken out and then put up next to a visual of what was actually taken out. You know, I'm thinking of some pretty simple examples. For instance, we we, we have a case involving you know, the strength of various components of a, of a vehicle mm-hmm. and, you know, what, what the federal standard requires force-wise versus what, you know, most crashes. Like, you know, there, there's a federal standard that relates to the strength of a certain component of a truck. And, and then you can compare that. You know, one of the issues in the case was the federal standard's insufficient. It's really not, it's, it's really worthless in, in 90% of the crashes. We've got a bar chart showing the different tests, you know, the federal motor vehicle safety standard tests and what amount of force or energy is is required in each of those tests. And then we compare it to the energy generated in, say, a 45 mile an hour, you know, rear end collision. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so compelling. It's like a hundred times more. And when you show that in a bar graph, you know, you can just look at it and you got one that's way down at the bottom and the other one's off the, you know, off the page. Yeah. I think too, when you're just thinking about presenting a case to a jury, the jurors are bored if you don't bring something else to the table and show them the evidence. Like, think if you're just presenting or through a witness, just question and answer back and forth. Like, you're going to put everybody to sleep. You have to keep them engaged. Right. Using visual aids not only gets the lawyer moving around the courtroom in front of the jury, it gets the witness more involved. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, it helps everyone perk up if they have other things to look at or you're using them expertly enough to be an example of what you're talking about. And that runs the gamut, whether it's, you know, PowerPoints you've created, videos that we've had put together. I think in any medical malpractice case, you have to show the actual record. The treating doctor records are your best friend if they support your case. Unless they're your worst enemy. They could be. <laughs> and that's when you should be making case selection. Right, and, and cases <laughs> where both sides are equally afraid of Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You but know, as records. far as, you know, using the actual evidence, start there when you're thinking about visual aids. And, Tim, when you were talking, I was thinking about the case that you were describing And, you know, as lawyers, we all walk around each other's offices and you hear certain snippets of cases. Mm -hmm. But then the moment when I remember what case a lawyer is working on or, you know, they can give me one word and say, oh, it's that case that you used in that case. And to describe the negligence of that doctor who performed that brain injury, you showed me the differences that were and the instrument was this like big key thing that I'm like, holy cow, if that's going into my head, yeah, that's scary compared with the device that could have been used. And that, you know, even we're sitting here, you showed me that years ago. 
and I remember that. Yeah, that was back in 2019, I think. It right. just, just, I'm a visual learner. So, right. like, I was, I didn't understand all the things we were talking about in that case and in other cases until I see it. Mm-hmm. And I think the same applies to the jury. I mean, seeing photos, videos, diagrams, illustrations make the statements and arguments, like, click. Well, and and think, then they remember and understand what you're talking about. Think about our opioid cases that we've done. In every case, we have had a pharmacist who's also a data analytics MBA mm-hmm. put together a chart of the pharmacy data. And you can see, you know, you can kind of draw a line on a bar graph of what the guidelines say you shouldn't go over in, yeah. unless there are certain exceptions. And we have a monthly bar chart of the amount of prescription that each client was getting and to see that and how much higher yeah. that looks, it's scary. But if you just sat there and tried to explain a dose to someone versus, you know, whatever, you can't visually see it. You're just hearing numbers and not sure of whether it matters. It, we have to make the data when you're dealing with things like that, like huge amounts of other incidents or if it's a case about prescriptions and there's so you have a huge table with all of them you need to make it digestible and understandable to the jury like summary summary charts are great yeah with with the prescription you know the 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 number of pills i mean we've we've done that in in some of the opioid cases where we just added up the number of pills that the doctor prescribed over a three or four year period and it's in the it's in the tens of thousands yeah you know you could fill up you know like I remember we oh, almost jars. you you had an idea. We wanted to bring in trash bags of like M and M's or Skittles, right? Right. right. <laughs> and we decided not to because we'd put together those big charts that we used anyway. You know, another thing that worked well in a case that we just tried that I had never done before, and that was it was a you know an auto accident with a fatality and very serious case. There were a lot of police officers, EMS, fire you know fire people at the at the scene. And they all had body cams. Most of them had body cams. Mm-hmm. And what we were able to do when we called them live was to show the scene through their body cam yeah. video, where we mm-hmm. would call them and have you know little segments of it. For instance, the one of the one of the police officers, we had him pulling up to the scene, and showed about six seconds of that, and then and then talked to him about that. And then at, at another point in his testimony, where he actually entered the building where where the person had been killed. We we could the jury could watch what he saw as he walked into the building, and 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 actually saw what what he saw when he came in. And we would, you know, you can do it one. You could have them describe it and then show it, or show it and describe it. But what we did is we took the sound, you know, off of the the yeah. video because there may have been parts yeah. of it that were right. prejudicial or yeah. But it was, I just you want the jury to feel like they've seen things with their own eyes and made them made their minds up based on what they've seen with their own eyes, rather than taking the lawyer's word for it. And it lends credibility to you if right. you can just show them, like, hey, don't take my word for it. Look at these pictures. Look at this, you know, video. Tim, I think that the most re- recent trucking case you and I tried, I think we won the liability With based the on, yeah, on the, we didn't get it till the very end. It was one of the body cam videos, and it was the patrol car, car just like you were saying, Joe, oh, yeah. driving up to the scene. And it showed the direction of the skid marks of the truck, which were opposite to the driver's story. They happened to be taken by the defendant's insurance investigator. Oh, was that it? That's why we just got it at the end. The day after. Yes. And 
for some reason they produced it to us. I don't think they realized what it showed. And so it wasn't the scene at the time of the scene, but it was the next day and it showed the tire marks going in from daylight, one lane in because daylight. Because it was nighttime at the scene and we couldn't see that. And it ended day. up like completely flipping the case from what we thought it was and realizing right. the truck driver was going to have to admit they were coming from a different area than they said. And, and that's what happened to try It completely right. flipped everything at trial. Right. And because we knew it was going to be, oh, this is what I said happened. But the evidence and the outcome suggested something different. And we couldn't confirm our version of what happened until we got that. And so this brings up, we talk about visual aids or visual evidence. Some of it is actual real substantive evidence and some of it is demonstrative evidence. That's an example of real substantive evidence, an actual video of the scene, even though it's the next day. John, you were talking about the police body, cam. body cams, that's real well, substantive evidence. Right. evidence, the charts and some other things and illustrations we're talking about. So there's different, you have to keep in mind which one's which to, to keep in mind what you need to do and establish to get them admitted. Substantive evidence involves like an actual thing in the case, such as DNA samples, videos of the scene at the time or afterwards, pathology slides, photographs of damages to an article, uh, automobile or photographs of, of your injuries to um, your plaintiff, medical records, x-rays, MRIs, those kinds of things. It's admissible if, as an exception to the hearsay rule, if it's been, you know, authenticated and a foundation has been laid that it is what you claim it is, as long as it's relevant and its probative value isn't outweighed. Demonstrative evidence is obviously different and has a different standard. It's used to assist the jury in understanding of real evidence. You have to lay a foundation, usually through your expert or through eyewitnesses. If it's like photos or not photos, but illustrations or a graph you make. So, Tim, what's a what's a uh, a bar graph that you know accurately depicts some you know measurement, medical measurement, or mm -hmm. you know whether it's a prescription medication or. You know, it could be, you know, somebody's blood pressure, you know, going up in a, in a, in a stroke case. Is, is that, that's sort of a depiction of, is that, is it's that kind of a hybrid, right? Is that demonstrative evidence? So or? that would be demonstrative, but it's like a summary demonstrative. And so you would need to lay the foundation for whatever the input data is, for example, prescription charts or, or whatever it is that you're getting that data from, lay the foundation for that, that it's true and accurate and you have a foundation for it, and, and then have someone who can testify that the demonstrative summary demonstrative accurately summarizes the yeah, data. Yeah, and what you can do, too, is you, you don't need to hire somebody to, to summarize it, but you can summarize it yourself, which is what we usually do, and then present send it to a request to it, Or send a request to it for admission, admission. to the other side. Yeah. Early in the case. Or even hand it to your expert and, and say, hey, would you look this over and right. see if it's accurate? And you put them on the stand and say, we put this together and you've, you've verified it. You actually went through the medical correct. records and confirmed that it's correct. One thing that comes up a lot, and I just I want to bring it up, it's not d directly on point, but, you know, when you use these in trial, and obviously you can use them with a witness, but when when can you use them in opening? You know, using using demonstrative exhibit or even exhibits of any kind in opening. And the last case that, that we tried, there was an objection. Johnny was doing the opening. He had a PowerPoint for opening, and he was going through it. And then about a third of the way through, I was looking at defense table, and one of the lawyers, you know, point tapped the other person on the mm -hmm. shoulder and whispered something in his ear. And the next thing, they're at the sidebar, and the PowerPoint ended. 
And and in that case, you know, whether it's 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 correct or not, what I what I hear all the time is, you know, judges will say as long as the other side looked at it and agree, yeah. you know, then you can use it. And you know that that's not the law in Missouri. I mean, it's just not. It's not. I think it's the judge's discretion. So, this is my experience. I I've had this come up at pretrials, and I've had judges say. You're not using anything in opening unless they are stipulated to exhibits prior to trial. The other side is stipulated to the admissibility well, of those exhibits. And I've had other judges say, look, if you want to use something in opening, as long as it's not an unfair surprise, if you as an officer of the court are representing to this court that you will lay the foundation for that throughout this trial, then I'll let you do it. But understand, if you don't, the other side's going to get to you know, shove it down your throat in closing argument. I think that's the right method. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be able to say anything in opening. No evidence has been admitted. You know, as long as it's something that's going to be admitted or, or you know, right. you know what's coming in. It's, it's, right. You, you had a pretrial. If it's if it's truly a demonstrative that you haven't laid the foundation for it, like a medical illustration or something with your expert in discovery, you had it done for trial and you're saying you're going to lay the foundation for it for trial – I, I can understand that, and I but think there's a time. lot of judges who would say they haven't seen this before. Like, I don't know if I'm going to let you lay the foundation for it later. But, but that's a time when the other attorney, like, okay, everyone has medical illustrations that they want to use. Right. Maybe they paid for them. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they grabbed them off the Internet. And everyone agrees, like, yeah, that's what that shows. And, right. yeah, that's when the other attorney is probably going to give you a break because they want the same thing. So it's a tit for tat there. And so I don't usually, unless it's something that I think is misleading, I don't object to it. Yeah. And I think most experienced trial lawyers on the other side don't either. Yeah. Unless it's something that they think is actually like misleading. So that the brainstem case we were talking about, if you remember, we at the pretrial, we spent about 45 minutes. We had like extensive medical illustrations done that could be, you know, manipulated by like turning the 3D illustrations. And there were portions that were showing the instrument going into the brain. And so we went through it slide like second by second, making stills about what we were going to be able to use in opening and not. And demonstratives don't just have to accurately, the only way to get them in is not them accurately portraying what we represent they portray. It can also be used to help illustrate a medical or expert witness's testimony to explain concepts. But that can cross a line of, yeah, it may help them explain this concept, but it can be prejudicial in that it like inaccurately portrays what happens and then people, it sticks in their brain. So there were portions we were allowed to use in opening and portions we were not. First of all, I think you should use PowerPoints and visuals in opening statement. And I think you should use them extensively in closing. I'll show it to the other side if they ask. Seasoned lawyers that we try cases against all the time, they usually don't object, right? When we're, because they want to use a PowerPoint too. Right. Just make them beyond reproach, too. Like, I had a, an opening in a memel case, and one of the issues were as this woman labored longer and longer outside of, you know, the norm, mm -hmm. trouble was brewing for the delivery. And the doctor, like, didn't check on her heart that she was in the hospital. So as I went through and tried to use a timeline to tell the story— um, I, and this is why you get other lawyers involved, because when I first tried to do this, I was kind of, you know, listing out a timeline on the PowerPoint. And Johnny came in 
And he's like, no, just put the time. And I'm like, what? He's just put the time. And I was like, great idea. So there was these gaps between when this doctor was checking in. Mm -hmm. So it was three and a half hours, seven and a half hours. So as I'm going through the timeline and describing, you know, when this doctor's coming in, what's behind me is 12 and a half hours later and just a huge red 12 and a half is on my slide. Yeah. And, and the point was, I mean, you can't argue with that. It's exactly just a, the time. It's, it's just, just the time. It's just the time. But and I yet have it tells huge a story more than, in red right. <laughs> behind me. Like, this is a problem. <laughs> Objection. So, it's devastating. My case. <laughs> you want that timeline. Yeah. She used red font. How could she? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that must mean trouble. So you can, you can convey a lot that you don't have to say. You could argue that it was argumentative, or you could just say it's damning evidence of how long, you know, this went on. But that's how I dealt with that. But it was it was very helpful to practice with something like that. You know, I think there are two, two things come to mind for me that, that happen a lot. In a lot of cases, auto accident cases, it's taking a doctor's deposition, you know, whether it's a back surgery or a broken arm mm-hmm. or whatever. And we have models here in the office and, you know, you can buy them. They're, they're not that expensive. We have one of the knee. We got a couple of the back. We got one of the shoulder. The skull. The, back, the skull. And, and so what, what I do is when I'm taking a doctor's deposition is literally bring it and you got it set up on a stand or whatever. And you say, doctor, show me, you know, what, what is that? What part of the body does that show? And, you know, does it fairly and accurately show that part of the body? Yeah. And then it's great because you can say, doctor, so, so tell us, you know, what was, what was broken and, and, and how did you fix it? Right. Yeah. And, and the doctor with that model, it's, it's like night and day versus just reading from an operative report and saying, you know, and then I remove this and this and all this other stuff. You got the model. And as you said, people perk up. You're looking at it. Oh, wow. OK, what's this? And they can turn it around and manipulate it. And it's it's just it's it's night and day. I mean, it really is. You really you should you get diagrams off the Internet. But I like the the actual model that they can turn around and show and point to. And it makes it makes all the difference. I mean, it really does. It 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 gets the doctor more involved, you know, whether they're just sitting there reading from the report. I have to share with you our spine model. You know, it's a full, almost life-size spine. Yeah. It hangs on a little stand. I remember going to a treating doctor depot. I took that with me. And, you know, this thing lives, like, in our locked evidence closet, and it goes in people's trunks, and it comes to every depot, you know, of a treating back doctor. And I get there, and the doctor sees it, and he grabs it, and he, like, starts manipulating the whole thing because it was completely out of whack, like, anatomically. Yeah. yeah. And he, like, lined up the, the skull plate and the, and the S-curve and, and all this stuff, and he goes, okay. Now we can use this. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had a similar experience. This was years ago with at a, another firm I was working at, and they had a model. This thing had to be older than me. It was all, you know, it had the, the bone and it had the ligaments and the discs in it, mm-hmm. except it was so old it was sort of dry. And the doctor, I was taking the doctor. Did it break? Dish, yeah. And so it, it the, the disc, the, the rubber portion of the disc actually, like, broke and snapped. And the doctor didn't miss a beat. He said, well, actually, that's right at the level. That's what happened. <laughs> that's just what happened. Couldn't but, plan you know, that. Yeah, but, no, it's it's invest in a model, you know, back, yeah. neck, or whatever. The other thing, too, and this is really low budget, low key, very effective, old-fashioned, a flip chart at trial with with your expert, with the other side's expert. And I, I do that all the time 
where you got an expert. Admissions. Yeah, admissions. Mm-hmm. Write them down in real time. For instance, if you've got an expert in a case that, that says, you know, admit some element of your case from the, on the other side, it was causation was an issue in the case. And one of the doctors, one of the defense experts, a retained expert in the deposition admitted that, you know, whatever it is we were alleging contributed to cause I the remember injury. the case. And so what I did just to make it, that was the whole case. And it was the jury, that's what the jury instruction, like, yeah. I think Johnny took the depo. He and did. It, was, it traced the language of the jury instruction. And I remember in trial prep reading it going, what the hell, the case is over. And so we had that, that I had that expert on the stand, took the flip chart and, and said, so wrote it out, asked him, he agreed with it, wrote it out and said, so Dr. Smith, I even wrote on yeah. the next, Dr. Smith says yes. Is that, you know, is that correct? And, you know, you don't want to overdo it, but with, because you do it too much and then it, it loses its effectiveness. But at, with the right witness, the right question, the right issue or point, just use a flip chart. I had, years ago, I had a case in the city and I was trying it, and, and believe it or not, the other lawyer objected to me writing stuff on a chart while I was questioning the witness. Because it's too effective? Yeah, and I, I was like, I said, Judge, I've been doing this for, you know, 20 years or whatever. I, I was even shocked that it actually, you know, generated a discussion, a sidebar discussion. Yeah. But, of course, I could write, you know, what I wanted during the, you know, during the examination. But good old flip charts. You should have said, you're welcome. I'm giving you my work product. Yeah. yeah. So, but there's there are all kinds of ways. You just got to have it come alive a little bit. Like yeah. on the case we had involving the... the 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 young the young girl was dehydrated. That was and, an example yeah, I thought we took. It was the same case you were yeah, just talking yes, about with yeah, the contributed and, to cost, by the way. And and the whole point was she was so horribly dehydrated that it was a question of whether or not the the you know the, the condition that she had was treatable or not. And yeah. and there's really no cure for it. You just got to write it out. And, and how how dehydrated she was was right. was very important to whether it outcome. contributed to yep. cause the outcome. Yes. And so we were thinking of ways to try and. You know, I think she was like 35 pounds or something or 45 yeah. pounds. And and uh, was it a two-liter bottle or two? You, this was your idea, and we hadn't done it in the case, but you did it with our expert. I think it was our first one of the – I put on a couple people, and then you put on this expert. And you had it in a box, and you established how many milliliters it was, and then you went and grabbed a two-liter bottle full of water and, and held right. it up, and then you kept it on our council table the entire time, trial. trial. Yeah. So yeah. this much, this yeah. little girl was yeah. missing yeah. this was, much water. It was crazy. It was very, very effective. You can do the same thing with, like, when your plaintiff has lost a lot of blood. Mm. Yeah. Two-liter bottles or whatever that shows exactly Ooh, what are you going to fill it with? Hershey uh, syrup? Cherry, yeah. <laughs> That's what they do in the movies. <laughs> I don't know. No, there's, there's all kinds of ways to. I'm trying to think of. I mean, we've done hundreds and hundreds of visuals and yeah. demonstratives. And, and there's lots of examples. So, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go through a list of different types, and this may spur remembering ways we've used some. But one obvious one is pictures of your clients before and after. If it's a death case, pictures of your clients with their lost loved one, a lot of them. I mean, you don't want to overdo it with 100, but find some really good ones. Or pictures of your injured client before and after pictures or videos of the actual injury or treatment while they're getting treatment in the injury in the hospital. MRIs, use them. Don't just talk about the results of MRIs or x-rays or CTs. Use them with relevant portions lit up. Pictures of the scene, videos of the scene, pictures of damage to vehicles, security footage. 
or, you know, the police cam footage, those are all actual real substantive evidence. Day in the life videos or before or after videos of your clients and then animations with, you know, we've all dealt with accident reconstruction animations, usually where we're trying to exclude the defense accident reconstructionists. You know, one, one, one of them that comes to mind listening to your list and that this was a case where I, I represented a, a, a man who was 21, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. He was a, a world-class athlete. He was a professional athlete, sustained brain damage, and was horribly injured. I mean, he could get, you know, walk around a little bit, but couldn't do things like tie his shoe. He could have needed, it's you know, helping get, case, right? yeah, it was a boxing case, getting dressed, you know, he needed help with all of, all kinds of everyday activities. And, you know, the evidence in the case was before he was injured, you know, he'd get up in the morning and run 10 miles and then start his workout. I mean, just a Did work, you have like a training athlete. video compared to a day in the life after well, video? Here's, here's what I did. I, I was watching, I was sitting in the office because we'd come back to the office every night at trial and I watched his mom with him and how, what she took, she took such good care of him. And so what, what I saw was, was how she was helping him get dressed and helping him put his shoes on and things like that. And what I did in closing that case, you know, how do you, how do you convey the loss, you know, the, the magnitude of the, of, of the harm. And what I did is I just took a shoe and said the same thing I'm saying now that, you know, before this happened, he'd get up in the morning and run 10 miles and he'd do his work. He was in and do a full workout after that. He was literally, you know, a, a, a world-class athlete. And, and it, last night or yesterday in my office, I watched his mom tie his shoes for him. Yeah, that's a good, you know, and just leave the shoe there. Mm -hmm. You know, can't tie a shoe. You told the uh, whole story without... With, the, with one shoe, right, yeah. right. And, you know, that was something that I didn't plan that months in advance, but, you know, you can think about that. You know, you always be thinking about it. We, we had a case with, with a client, and it was a rollover case, and he was, he was a, you know, paralyzed and had, had some limited use of his arms and, you know, couldn't walk. And what we did is I, I went to his house multiple times. I, I actually had... The morning routine. I was there and witnessed the morning routine. Him getting up and 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 everybody kind of helping and the and the and it was so impressive about how how much effort and time it took him to do the simplest, smallest things. And we decided I decided to do a video of just having him. He could drive and he had a van that was modified. Mm -hmm. But you know, saying oh we got a van that's modified. That's one thing. But you know, having it be 25 minutes to get into the thing. Yeah. You know, and depending on where you park, it's a problem. And so what we did is we had some video of navigating a parking garage oh, and, and trying to get out of the parking garage. And, and it, was, it was an hour-long ordeal to park. Something that other people are already kind of annoyed with, and then you show what it's like. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, massively it's, bigger right. yeah. pain in the it's, butt it is. But, you know, it, you just you, to come up with ideas, sometimes it's just you don't need to create to be creative. You just need to be able to demonstrate effectively what the reality, what the reality is Ask now for your, your client, client enough questions yeah, that absolutely. you're really getting. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, there's all kinds of, you know, ways to do it, but I, I like it. You know, it's show and tell. I mean, it's not show and it's not just telling it's show and tell. Right. And that's, what's going to stick in somebody's brain. Use, and there's all kinds of different ways to do it. We've talked about, you know, illustrations and graphics to explain dense medical concepts or anatomy or biomechanics of injury. 3D renderings, exemplar products or medical equipment involved, videos of, you know, your client's life now and portions of it. Um, you know, another thing, too, if you have a product that, you know, in, involves something that 
you can look at it and kind of visibly see the design deficiency mm-hmm. in it. Look at competitors' products. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's some type of guard on a machine, you can bring it in and say, okay, here's here's what they did, and here's what nine of their competitors did. And you look at it and compare it so people can look at it and go, wow, these other folks did a really good job. Or the same company you're suing may have different models, and where some of those models, right, where they've incorporated some safety yeah. features that they, you know, they charge more for and they want to make a little more money on it. I just it. think you got to show people. Mm-hmm. And maybe more so than you used to. We have attention spans of the gnats now. We all have <laughs> cell phones that we stare at constantly. The news has graphics popping up at you for for anybody who still watches the news. So what they should do is they is should give the they should give the jurors clickers yeah. like a like a channel changer <laughs> yeah. to show us all when Forward. hey m- move on right it's time just when you when you've had enough of that topic just start clicking so we can move on to something else and I think that would help everybody It'd help us lawyers and I it agree. would help the jurors. Yeah, it's just every aspect of your case. It is show and tell. You have to keep people uh, engaged, keep people entertained. Judges appreciate it. Yeah. Instead of just three straight hours of just people talking with no visuals that anybody can look at. So I I try to always be prepared for types of visual evidence we're going to use in a trial. I, I try to keep cases in the file present with us at the table. If there hasn't been a motion in limine about using visual evidence at trial, the type we're going to use, uh, or you haven't disclosed the demonstrative yet, try to be prepared with a short like pocket brief or key cases highlighted in tab to show the judge at sidebar. You don't want to not be able to give the judge something to, to be able to use it when you need to use it. You know, I had, I had another one just came to mind. I had a case involving, it was a, it was a business, sort of a business dispute. It was a tort, but had a business component to it. And both sides had CPAs, accountants, mm-hmm. because of the financial stuff. And the defendant produced what were very well-qualified CPA, but really didn't give him anything. He had no basis, you know, for his opinions. At the same time, the defendants in the case had subpoenaed my client every record, every damn record they had for like the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And we had boxes and boxes that we had produced every invoice, and they didn't show any of it to their their main damage witness. And it was literally 20 boxes of, of, you know, documents. And so we thought it was crazy and, and overly broad and all this stuff, but we produced it. Mm-hmm. And so what I did, and it was it seemed kind of crazy at the time, but I brought all that into the courtroom and stacked it behind my counsel table, the, the 18 or 20 boxes of stuff. Yeah. And I had the defense, you know, CPA on the stand and said, so what materials, isn't it important if you're going to evaluate a business and tell us what, what caused the loss yeah. or how much the loss was, you need to know what you need to know about the business, right? You need to, what do you look at? What, what, what do CPAs look at? You look at their financial records, right? And did they provide you with information? And he goes, yes. You know, and at the depot, he, he didn't, couldn't identify what they provided him with. And I, he said, uh, oh, yeah, I've looked at this and I've looked at that. And I said, well, well how much stuff? And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I said, thickness. Was it a foot? Yeah. Was it two feet? And he goes, oh, it was big. It was like he's holding up, you know, two feet or whatever. And then I went back to the boxes behind me and said, do you know what these are? These are my client's financial records that this attorney subpoenaed. You've never seen them, have you? You don't know. You have no idea what's in them. But it was just, you know, the the, the twenty boxes. Credibility, you know, the credibility, right? Credibility. This lawyer needed to get right. all this, and then he wanted you to give opinions right. about economics and didn't give it to you. So think about this. Think of the alternatives. Had I just said, you weren't given all of the information. Yeah. You know, move on. Versus, 
you know, making it a little bit more memorable, you know, building it up a little bit. And that, that vision of him sitting there with a, a briefcase with, you know, six inches of documents, yeah. and we've got 20 boxes behind us of all the financial information that he wasn't given. That reminds me of a story of something I did in a case Johnny and I, we just keep talking up Johnny. And I know. We can make John, Johnny and I tried a couple years ago out in, in over by Kansas City where the case was about whether our client should have been discharged when she was suicidal. And she'd been to this hospital a lot of times, and we had four, four feet of records that they had before they discharged this lady from various prior visits. And the point to be made was he didn't consider all the information. He only considered that when she wanted to get let go, she said, I'm fine, and I'm not going to hurt myself anymore. And I wanted to make the point that dramatically that he didn't consider everything he should have. So I was putting the defendant doctor on the stand last in our case. And I pulled the table up between the, my podium and the witness stand, and I put five feet of medical records on it. All of her medical records that existed at that hospital, and nobody knew. I didn't tell Johnny what I was doing. He's like, what are you doing? And I went, you're going to find out. And I put them all up there, and all I had pulled out was this psychiatrist's note from the day he met with her for 45 minutes and discharged her. And I established with him is all of the information you considered in deciding whether to discharge her, is it all just contained in your note? And he said, yeah. And then I handed it to him and I went, so there's a lot of information in here that would, if you just looked at that, support not discharging her. And I handed him a highlighter and said, can you, can you highlight for me the portions in your note that did support discharging her. And he took like 10 minutes and the jury's staring at me and staring at him and looking around. And he highlighted like two sentences. And I said, thank you. And then I went and asked the clerk for a pair of scissors. They looked at me like I was crazy and maybe they shouldn't give it to me. And then I went and grabbed a trash can from by our table and put it right in front of the witness stand. And I cut out the rest of his note. And I took that and the five feet of medical records and I threw it all in the trash can right in front of him and went, so none of the rest of this mattered. Got it. And then we ended, we ended with yeah. the witness. Yeah. And we took that little pit, that little piece that he had highlighted and taped it to the, like slapped and taped it in the front of the podium. And there it remained the rest of the case. I guess the defense, <laughs> the defense attorney forgot about it. And it stayed there for, throughout the entire closing yeah. argument. That's a gift. And the jury just kept looking at it like... All right, man, but, like, that's the only thing the guy looked at. <laughs> he yeah. threw everything else in the trash can. You know, so the other thing, too, is, you know, th don't forget about Bordire. Yeah. You know, I, I use demonstratives in Bordire all the time. And a couple water of things. Example, yeah, right? I, 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 one is the contributed to cause where I'll, you know, pull out a, a, a pitcher of water, even pull, have one set up on the table with a cup, and I'll, well, I'll pull out as, like, a bowl, and I'll put it on on a table or somewhere close to where the, the jurors can see it. And then I'll take the cup and I'll pour three pours into the cup with the third one overflowing the water into the pan. And if you get a nice metal pan, it'll go ding, ding, ding and make a nice noise. And then I'll ask some juror that I've already identified previously, you know, Miss Jones, which pour, you know, caused the overflow? And and they'll she'll, whoever will say, well, they all did. And so which ones contributed? They all, you know, the whole concept of contributed to cause. And that leads into, you know, you're going to be instructed in this case about contributed to cause. And that's the concept, you know, to go through that. 
you know, the other thing that, that I do sometimes is, you know, the whole burden of proof where you get, you know, the two, the two rings of paper, 500, and I'll get two of them and I won't even open them. I'll leave them closed and just walk up to the, you know, I, it was the last case that I did it in. I put it on the, the bar of the railing between, you know, the gallery and the, and the, you know, the, where the, the jurors, you know, sit, or where, where the lawyers sit. And I put one on each side of the aisle, you know, I unwrapped them and put them and, and had, you know, moved one over to the other, you know, kind of explaining the concept more likely than not. And, and what I do is because you get, a lot of times you'll run into jurors who want to argue with you, which is great because yeah. it highlights the, you know, the concept. Now, I'm not but good with say, one well, piece of paper. Yeah, I don't want one piece of paper and I, I don't know how much they weigh and I don't, you know, and I said, well, okay, if they all weigh the same, if all 500 weigh the same, and we move five of them, because I had one juror say that, you know, well, just one isn't going to make. I said, let's move ten, you know, yeah. move ten of them over. And I said, if they all weigh the same, if 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 you if you were deciding, would you do you think it would be reasonable to assume more likely than not if we move ten pages over, if we got a real accurate scale that's going to weigh, you know, kind of like that to bring it up a little bit. I, I would say this: think first instead of sitting there and just trying to be creative. Think about your actual case and think about what issue you want to, you know, emphasize or what point you want to convey, and, and that'll get you focused. You'll, you'll, you'll start figuring some things out. As we said, if it's injury or harm to your client, you know, that's real easy. Just spend some time with them. You yeah. know, you'll, you'll find out some, you'll have some really, really good ideas of how to convey, you know, their, their harms and, and their losses. And I would say for for visuals or demonstratives or dummies or, or models, whatever, if you're going to use them with a witness or an expert, practice ahead of time yes. when you're prepping them. Don't just – you don't want something to go wrong. Find out what technology is available in the courtroom or if it reliably works. You need to know that going to trial so you can bring your own equipment. I like to – if it's a courtroom I'm not super familiar with, like when we had that case down in Florida, we were going to try. We went to go check out the courtroom. Both of us went and sat in the jury box to check the sight lines to figure out the most favorable spot to place visual evidence or where we would want to be standing when we were asking witnesses questions to see how the jurors were right, seeing right. it. So just kind of to summarize, most people learn better visually. The most powerful proof to use throughout your case and at trial is, you, is visual in, in combination with what you're saying. Like you said, John, show and tell. It can be photos, videos, illustrations, animations, graphics, life-size color cutouts. Get creative, but think about it early. Gathering and conceptualize your visual evidence early. Disclose it early. Use with witnesses in depots and experts to avoid objections about unfair surprise. Be familiar with the rules of evidence regarding substantive visual evidence versus pure demonstratives in the jurisdiction of your case. Visual evidence requires a lot of work and thought, but it's the most effective way to illustrate liability, support, or even in voir dire to try to explain a concept. It maximizes the chances for a good result for your client, and we've made reference to this. In today's world with, you know, dozens of legal-themed shows and CSI shows, jurors and even judges, I think, often expect it. They expect the technology and to be uh, entertained and kept engaged with visual evidence as they observe a legal proceeding. And they may be disappointed if they don't see it during your trial and you don't want that. Yeah. And like you said, Erica, the worst thing you can do is to bore the jurors. Um, you just, you don't want to do that. I mean, keep it short, get to the point and, and, you know, show them some things, show them some things that are genuinely interesting. 
Erica, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm Erica Slater. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.